Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Hey, tonight we have a really interesting show, and it's about a subject that might just scare a few people because it has funny scientific words in it. It's the critical unifying qualities of quantum change in our universe. Now, you might say, oh boy, it's going to be another one that was really difficult to understand. Well, I'll try to make it as easy as I can. And most of what this show is about isn't about uh, physics as much as it is about life, thought, and what the characteristics of God's mind are. Now, some of this is physics, but... I won't put it in ways that will make it sound that way. <laughs> okay. And uh, let me begin by saying that most people aren't aware of how the universe is set up. In other words, it's designed to follow a certain, we'll say, general pattern or idea. But it is not controlled by its creator, God. Nor is it controlled by uh, any other single or even group of beings because it was designed to grow life in general. And life has many different places in terms of time and space places that it exists within that includes the amount of energy versus intelligence and interactions of things that we think of as sort of energy forms. And that all comes together to create the qualities of quantum change. Now, <clears throat> what is a quantum change? The simplest way to understand it is that it's a change in which time and space are brought together and the quality of the change, which we'll be talking about because there's different changes at different points, the quality of the change is really dependent upon the thought of the type of life that is involved at that particular point in where the, they fall in the universe. Now, since this is really about life and energy is a critical part for the creation of life because Energy comes from perfect activities that are executed through the, we'll call it, less than perfect thinking. Usually we would refer to it as more like selfish thinking of different types of life. And this idea is the foundation of how God allows life to be free to grow itself and, oddly, at the same time, over the 
conglomeration of all the life, it grows its creator or God. Technically, there's another word for creator because technically God was a greater creator outside of this universe, but that's a different story for a different time. So I'm using creator in equal exchange with the word God. Tonight, anyway. Okay, so I'm trying to take this as slow as possible because I know this can really throw some people. Since quantum changes are changes in which to the beings who are involved in it, it takes no time at all to uh, cause a sudden shift in time-space. In other words, it doesn't use time to unify time-space. It does the reverse, actually. So this is foreign to most people's thought process because traditional physics, before we get to quantum physics, and particularly quantum field physics, but before we get to that, in most of the history of physics, it was wrongly assumed that time and space were unchangeable, were the same everywhere, and were some kind of magic thing that uh, was just there. The idea that it's an effect from the thinking, thinkings of almost countless types of life forms is a little bit beyond all forms that I'm familiar with of traditional physics. And also, it's beyond quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics, to get around the idea of time, it makes a falsity. It says that time is a certain ratio, uh, just a number. Pick a number. They picked a number. Uh, that doesn't work. And the reason I did that is because uh, the quantum mechanical physicists wanted everything to be not based upon thought, as an example, or God, as an example, or anything that's outside of what, at the time, was considered to be the real physical universe. And, of course, that was all wrong, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it was at least a jump forward for one thing, and that was that even in quantum mechanics, in theory at least, at the speed of light, even though they didn't really understand what that meant, time was considered to be stopped. Now, when you move from that to quantum fields, that's like what we're dealing with, uh, then each field produces a different kind of quantum change. And that's a real big change. It's a real big change from one kind of physics to another. I tend to say there aren't some things that are shared but there's a lot of things that are quite different. And 
when we look at some of the famous physicists in the past, some of them were caught in between on these two ideas, and they kind of couldn't resolve their own theories or the theories of others. A lot of people think of Albert Einstein. He had a lot of trouble with these ideas. And so... And it's not that it's not that he was stupid or he, or he just didn't know better. It, it's just that you've got to have a different frame of reference. And if your frame of reference is that God is the Almighty, that is more or less controlling what's going on. That was kind of Einstein's idea. I mean, not as a physicist, but as a human being. And when you have that concept, it blocks you from realizing that isn't God's decision. It's human beings' decision on this particular planet about what God is like. But God doesn't function that way. God does the exact opposite. It's not trying to control everything. It's restricting. It's controls on almost everything. And it allows life to choose and control most of the issues that we consider to be physics. And one of the proofs of this is several major experiments uh, done all through the 1910, 1920s, 1930s, uh, where it was proven in various different ways that energy follows thought. Now, that's a big deal. And energy in specific follows, at least by the proven uh, methods, the thought of humans. Now, this was such a a big change that... Uh, it got lost, and a lot of physicists didn't accept it, and they still don't today. So they may give it lip service, but they don't they don't really believe it. That's where the difference is. And they think that if it's even true, it's only in the subatomic particle range of types of energy, energy or particles, or both. And it would never be a real thing in anything larger than that world. Well, for the average human, that could even be almost a true statement. But if you collectively add up all the human beings, collectively add up all life, it's not even close to being true. So we we really have confounded our understandings by, we'll say, biases and perceptions that are wrong, even though we figured out a lot of things over a century ago, those things that we figured out, we haven't put them together. Tonight's show is a part of putting some of that together. Now, I'm not really down that much on most of physics. Because physics has a very big role to play. And the people that are trying to figure it out 
are still human, and they're still trying to figure it out from, at least in this realm, from a very low part of what is considered the universe, where there isn't a lot of strong thought, even of the brightest of people here. And their thought, though, is, is a fraction of what it would be, even after their death, going to, say, the monastic world. And so they don't they don't have a strong way of thinking that gets them to be able to understand a lot of stuff. It's very confusing. So for many, they just get lost in the what they think to be the accepted ideas. Some of them are called one's called the standard model. Another one has to do with the, with the the accepted model of uh, star systems. I mean, there's all kinds of these different models. And, and a universal model about the beginning of the universe and other things. Some of these things have truth in them, but not much. And most of them are falling apart as I speak almost. They're just that holding together well because we are moving ahead. And as we do, we're getting closer to tonight's show, generally in science which is a good thing. Okay. How come energy controls is controlled by the thinking, and since humans think better than most of the life in this realm, uh, energy is being affected by human beings all the time, but we don't realize it. And that's a, that's a kind of strange thing. I mean, we're right in the thick of it, as you can say. And you would think that we would be able to notice this sort of stuff. But one of the problems about the quantum change is that at the level we're at, because we're in a little small micro compartment, it's called the fifth sub-world or sub-plane, and that little small uh, compartment doesn't give us enough input in our senses that somewhat work a little bit above that realm uh, are not very accurate because we're selfish and we damage those senses and keep them relatively separated from working together. And the same is true about other dimensional senses that we do have, which includes the next dimension called the astral realm or the dimension after that called the monastic or mental realm. So we that's where human beings eventually can live, and we actually have bodies and senses in those, even while we're physically alive. But those senses don't integrate well with our physical senses while we live in the physical world. And when we die from the physical world, we lose all the physical senses we had that were not enlightened. Well, we'll get to that idea in a little bit. But, so we have a, a strange set of circumstances that causes us to have uh, uh, mistaken notions. And we are unable to take advantage of all of what I've been explaining so far. Because even if people were to, quote-unquote, overnight all accept it, which is not likely, by the way, but even let's say they just accepted it, okay, they would still have a huge problem in overcoming how to, in some way, 
having a guiding light in their life and in some way finding it useful for involving themselves with the universe and with other beings. Now, since a big part of this has to do with the thing called consciousness, and it's the second part of thought. Thought really has two components to it. The first part is choices. And choices are made within what is known as a field of choices. I'd say you have a whole bunch of choices. It's whatever you can think of at one time are all your choices. That makes sense. And by choosing to use some of those choices to create a completed thought, you have to limit the choices that don't seem to apply very much so that you can make the ones that do become useful. As soon as they become useful, they change the ratio of how much energy is following thought and they also change the subdimension that people can think from accurately. That's a weird thing that happens altogether. And when all those things happen, we have a quantum change. And it happens in no time at all based upon the thinking process. So once you think it, if you can think it, no time changes, but you have changed your yourself and the energy around you because it's going to follow your thought a lot more. And the activities are going to be taking much less energy, much less time, and far less space in interactions between any parts. And that's called the movement towards intelligent action or activity. So that's the big deal. That's what makes the universe so interesting is that the life itself is in control of most of the physical properties that we think are physics and beyond human beings' lives and anybody else's for that matter. So we're in the midst of changing the very universe that we think is constant, unchangeable, and has nothing to do with us, except that we have to live in it. And it's exactly the reverse. That's the opposite of what the truth is. So I guess you would say we live in a grand illusion when we're physically alive. That's a, that's a pretty consistent statement. And we being people in this world. There's some worlds that are much more advanced. People don't have the kind of confused thinkings we have because they have developed their consciousness, their minds much higher. And they're interactive with their creator much on a much higher level. And so for them, the physics that I'm talking about tonight it's like nothing. It's like they're old. They probably know about that almost from birth. And so it's not some weird, strange thing. But here on Earth, it's more than just strange. It's almost ununderstandable for most people. 
That's a big problem. That's the truth. Because I'm talking about people who are not just ignorant of everything. I'm talking about people who claim to be very smart, have education, some of them are scientists, some of them are physicists. It doesn't matter. If you don't have your consciousness grown to a certain level, which allows you to unify. You can't direct your field. You can't do much with it. And you're kind of like out nowhere. You can make choices, but the choices won't bear anything. They won't create anything that is long-lasting. That's a bad outcome, even for people's own individual lives. All right. So when we we examine this whole thing, and we try to make it into some kind of, we'll say, consistent understanding. As life itself becomes more choice, more creative of choices that it is directly interactive with, and it understands what those choices mean and how it affects others and it's and they design it life designs it to be as good or better for others than it is for itself that brings that change in the quantum field and allows that person and anyone else like that person to live in a different kind of reality, even though they're existent right here in this physical world or something like it, depending upon where they happen to be at the time. So, now that we can see that unifying quantum change is really what God saw as the beginning of a movement towards its growth and the growth of, we'll say, the greater universe. Humans play a very important role in this. And you say, well, what about all the animals? What about the plants? They're doing something. They are. But what they're doing is so minimal that the effects on these bigger parts of quantum physics are really not touched by how they live. Even though you could say it seems like nature is doing a great job because life does seem to keep going. You know, even when there's catastrophes and other things, there's a, there's something good that comes usually out of it and life continues to grow although there have been quite a few types of life that have gone extinct. And the truth is that life itself is designed to go extinct until it can create itself, not through just the stresses and forces of nature, we'll call it, or God, into something greater. So it is inevitable that human beings will either grow 
to become a greater part of the universe and their creator, or they will become, at least on a localized basis, extinct. I know that sounds cruel, but in a way, it's part of the system that I'm describing tonight, and it's the plan of God. God is not out to punish human beings on planets that don't develop in ways that create these more positive elements to the field of change. But it is an outcome, self-created nonetheless, and on many planets, Earth being particularly one I'm concerned about, uh, it could be the outcome. So the idea that humans will never destroy Earth is pretty absurd. Not only will humans possibly destroy Earth, but the likelihood that we will is not going down at the present time. So we have some significant parts of this whole thing that we really need to look at. Before we do that, I'm going to take a brief uh, break to clarify my voice. I give myself a squirt or two, you know what that's like. And we'll be back just in 30 seconds, plus or minus, from right now. there to think about what I said, right? And now let's keep going. I find this really interesting, this, this program tonight. All right, so we we now have some understanding that uh, we're not necessarily blessed by being on Earth. We came here as a soul, our choice. That's actually a true statement. But once you're here, so to speak and your soul is incarnating, etc. you fall victim to what the total human thought on Earth is in each period of time while you're physically alive. And then while you're astral and mentally alive as well, but it's less impactful than physical life. Now, why is that? Well, because in the physical world the problems that humans face are much more difficult because energy does not follow thought anywhere near the level that it does, say, in the astral and particularly the mental worlds. So it's very difficult to get energy to do what we'd like it to do. And that means that even a very, very small change, what is called a subplane from one place to another, requires a considerable level of improvement in thinking, and beyond that, 
a willingness to give more than people <clears throat> excuse me than people immediately give while they're physically alive. So that's the problem. Now in the future people might change, it might get worse, it might get better, but at the present time that's where people are. And have there been worse times? Yes. But there is always this composite element that as we move ahead, humans become more controlling over the planet. That's called civilization. And the civilization takes control of the lower kingdoms of life, takes control of the kingdoms of pre-life, the mineral kingdom. And eventually we take over so much, it's our civilization, we call it, that there is very little that isn't under, even if we're not conscious of it, our control. So we're making the world, this world, very much as we think in it and as we interact. Now, energy doesn't follow thought very easily. And in order to here in this physical world, in order to get it to follow thought, the thought has to be highly conscious thought, which means that we have to be thinking of others and giving to them in the most, uh, we'll say, loving ways possible so that they can do the same. That formula is a great formula. The only problem is very few people follow it because it requires changes in our own thinking. And to change your thinking, uh, it requires a thing called spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline, by definition, means you're changing your thinking for the benefit of others. That's, that's what it means. And if you're willing to do that, and if, particularly if the others aren't people that you are just family or friends, but you're trying to do it for anybody that is going to find it helpful and accepting, that's a big, big change. Living your life that way is profoundly different than how most of humanity on Earth at the present time lives. Now, what is happening to the quantum constant, as I called? Well, that constant is far from constant. The only thing that's constant about it is that at the moment, you can measure it where we presently are, and we get some kind of sort of number. But that number, which is related to the speed of light, is... Uh, contaminated by these selfish thinkings of humans and human civilization. We don't have a good place to start while we're physically alive. You've got to really advance your consciousness to get out of this, the nature of this problem. Now, since human beings predominantly affect 
the quantum constant. And we don't even know we're doing that when we die, or if we could travel to a higher dimension, even a sub-dimension. We experience a different reality. And that reality is based upon a change in the quantum constant. Now, you can say, okay, but how is that constant if it changes? Well, it's constant for that particular time-space model around this particular planet at this time. That's about as close as you're going to get to claiming it's a constant. Now, if you're going to go travel to other parts of the universe, it's not going to be work out that way for you. But for here right now, we can kind of use it. I mean, it is practical. There is some practicality. Because you could work with things like nuclear energy, and you can predict how it's most likely going to respond in certain sub parts of the physical world. That's really a helpful thing if you're going to use nuclear energy for any specific purpose. Some people are, some people, a lot of people aren't, so it really, it only matters if you're really going to use it. Now, what does it mean to practical everyday living? Well, it kind of means the following, and it's not an easy thing for us to accept. And that is that we are controlled by the general selfishness around us, even if we ourselves are not selfish. And what we call the quantum change, which happens, by the way, in no time at all, if you're moving from one subplane to the next or one plane to the next, the result we can work outside of the confine with us as living in because we can move our consciousness to those higher realms in some circumstances. Not everybody can do this, obviously, but it is possible, at least. And that gives options to people. And so it makes it better, easier in a lot of circumstances, to be able to cope with the difficulties of the physical world. What does it mean in terms of our relationship with God? Well, God is there. God comes through to us through parts of ourselves that are in other dimensions all the time, including a thing called the solar angel, and uh, it's like a being that is also connected to us. Our own soul, which is much closer to where the solar angel is than it is to us. But you can connect to your soul because another part of understanding the unifying aspects of quantum change is that if you think like a higher part of what we will call yourself, okay, you think like that part you move your consciousness into that realm of quantum change. And that happens in no time at all. So you don't have to travel anywhere. You just are there. Wow, you're just there. And from that position, you have a vast amount more time because... 
remember that the time-space continuum, as you move higher, more towards God, you gain huge amounts of benefits in time. It's called time dilation. And the result is that uh, the principle of most of human selfishness and human fear revolves around a lack of time, which is caused by their own selfishness, but they don't realize that. So you're outside of that. You move away from the greatest fears, the greatest, uh, we'll say, trepidation that human beings have, while particularly they're physically alive. And that includes, and it goes all the way to, the fear of death. Because in order to be in these higher realms, you are at or beyond where humans live. And even when you die from all the ranges of where humans tend to live, if you're truly at or above where where that range is, there is no such thing as death. Death is only the cessation of consciousness within a certain quantum field. When you join that field with a larger field, you no longer have a sense or fear of death from the lower field, from within the lower field. And tell me that isn't a good outcome. And it's it's so factually sound that there are whole whole methods devised for humans especially to be able to take advantage of this. But it's also for beings beyond you. But humans, because they travel through so many dimensions within their existence, are benefited greatly by this whole, we'll call it, science. It allows humans to escape all of the quandaries and fears of death. It gives humans all the time they ever need to be a co-creator with their creator. And it gets them to the position of eventually understanding others like themselves and God all one together. So the idea of loneliness or not being unified goes away. Now that does present some odd conditions. I'll talk about that for a few minutes here. For people who are living in the physical world because uh, Let's assume you go for a short-term visit to one of these other realms, which is what some people have done. But when you come back to here, you're still living within the confines of others around you being as selfish and fearful of death as anyone can imagine. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? 
that's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hon, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's hidden meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. We're back. Hey. It's been more than the time you may have uh, heard those commercials for. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, a challenging set of circumstances come up uh, in the technical field of uh, the station, actually, that we, we use and go through. And they've done, they've done a great job. They, they've really expanded their... Uh, audience base, I think it's over a quarter, quarter million to half million or more possible listeners and all kinds of stuff. In, in the process of doing all those kinds of things, and besides trying to survive some terrible fires in, in uh, California, uh, they had to have equipment rechecked and stuff done. And unfortunately, you have third parties coming in and do that sort of work. And somebody messed something up, and uh, actually their whole station went down for a while, and then we got cut off during the show, which was the beginning of the show, and that was all the way back to July 12th. So we're picking up it again, <laughs> and I'm going to finish that show just as if all this time hasn't actually elapsed. But we do appreciate everybody uh, that has tried to make this all happen and get it back in line, and so far it sounds like it's working. So let me continue with the show from a couple of weeks ago, uh, and which is the one you 
heard part of, of course. There were a few sound ir- irregularities at the very end because that's when things are going bad uh, at that time. Not so much anymore. I don't think we're going to have any problems. So I think everything's going to work out fine. <laughs> so let me, let me go, uh, go again to the ideas that I was presenting a couple weeks ago. And that was that uh, human beings here on this planet are relatively primitive in comparison to probably the average uh, of human beings in a vast number of other worlds. And um, let me let me give you a number so that that might help you. There's hundreds of hundreds of billions of stars in some uh, galaxies. Okay, so it's it's a big 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 number. And in a very, very large galaxy, you have like over 400 billion stars. And there are hundreds of billions of galaxies that we're aware of. Start doing the math on that, and you start beginning to see that, holy, there's a heck of a lot of potential uh, living beings out there. They might say, well, how come they aren't coming and knocking on our door? How come they don't come for a visit? (laughs) Well, in uh, some very strange ways, which I have explained in previous shows and other teachings I do, uh, Earth is kind of confined to uh, a very narrow uh, place in this whole spectrum of planets, etc., because uh, it's kind of an experiment. It's an experiment to try to uh, defeat the dark side, evil we'll call it, uh, by accelerating the development of uh, human, uh, we'll call it human consciousness and eventually human uh, civilization. But unfortunately, the dangers are pretty severe because the planet itself, Earth, and its sister planets, uh, were devised for the purpose of challenging and seeing if this method or the methods that are being employed to accelerate the development of civilization uh, and human beings, actually, uh, is counterproductive or where, whether it actually uh, will help defeat uh, the dark side. Because the dark side is not that prevalent throughout most of this particular galaxy. That's, that's, we're a group of about, we're one of like 30 galaxies that kind of hang out together. But, and we're not anywhere near the largest. But the the point is that we, as a planet, are considerably hampered because the dark side was looking for a planet, and this was kind of hung out there to give them a shot at uh, trying to take it over. I know it sounds weird, but it's true, based upon as best as I understand this whole whole scenario. And the, the, the rationale was better to find out now if there's some way to counter uh, a plan 
attacked by our darkness. And when I say attack, I'm, I'm talking about uh, a relatively small, very small, actually, number of humans that uh, are dark and join this thing, and even fewer number that come here from actually outside of this particular galaxy, from another galaxy. But regardless of where they came from, they're here and settled here to try to challenge the situation. And they've only been here a short time, relatively. I mean, Earth wasn't like saturated with evil hundreds of millions of years ago. This is like a development that's only taken place over the last, literally probably the last uh, 18 million years, give or take. And uh, it hasn't really taken hold until approximately, this is an all approximation, uh, give or take uh, around 8 million years ago or so is when there was more evil activity. And the most important part about this is it didn't become a serious problem until really very late, at least in terms of how long ago it was, late being closer to us. And uh, that would be about 850,000 years ago. So that's when evil really stepped up its efforts to try to take over uh, Earth. And uh, since that time, uh, there have been some errors made on the part of uh, humans who were somewhat more conscious and spiritual than average, but they still made some mistakes in their judgment. And they didn't handle a number of circumstances correctly. So that gives some perspective on tonight's show because Earth is very, very atypical. We're not, we're not your normal place. Uh, when you invite evil in just to test it out, <laughs> to me that's a, that's a big thing. Uh, not necessarily something you know that you really want to have a, 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 a lot of happening going on all throughout a particular galaxy or beyond. But this is a rare event, and the most important thing to realize, I'm going to put this in better perspective now, is that the souls that are here, that's us, our souls, came here. Most of them came here in full understanding and knowledge of the circumstances that they would be faced with, the difficulties. And these souls are brave. I mean, heck, they knew coming in that they were going to be faced with a real barrage of evil at some point. And they still were willing to come here and try to bring about a positive, enlightening change to this world. Um, And so for that, I commend everybody that's here. Uh, even those who might have gone to the dark side, which are, there aren't that many beings in the dark side. It's not that big yet. But uh, everybody that's here that elected to come here to, in some way, stand up to, against evil, whether they succeed or, did or not, uh, they deserve some credit for it. And remember, the soul can leave. It doesn't have to stay connected with this planet. Um uh, 
it won't usually strand a uh, incarnate like us here in the physical world unless we've gone all the way over to becoming evil and then it wouldn't make any difference. It could leave. Once we've given up connection with ourselves, we choose to give up our connection. It doesn't give up on us. Hopefully it gives you some perspective on the first part of the show. Now, how how does this all work out? I mean, where, where are we headed in terms of trying to uh, develop a more substantial level of consciousness within a physics reality that's misunderstood by great measure and within uh, a, an astrophysics reality, which is also greatly misunderstood, and then uh, getting into these uh, more spiritual things, that is almost completely un- uh, not understood. So we, we're in this kind of ignorant zone where it's hard to, to even discuss things of this nature. Humans that come here and that incarnate have a terrible time when they're physically uh, alive. The terrible time comes from the fact, as I stated in the first part of the show, that what we think of as the consistency of time and space and the quantum constant being unchangeable, it's called Planck's constant, being unchangeable and it's some kind of magic thing, uh, it's not true. In reality, the only thing that is true about it is if you're at a certain point, we'll call it a subplane level, uh, at that particular level, at a particular time in the development of this world or any other world, uh, there's going to be a real, actual, quantum, constant change that shifts. And it takes no time to change from one state to another. Uh, And when this change takes place, what we think of as the speed of light actually increases, if you're going on the upward direction of this whole thing, and um, time and space join closer together. And that's on a subplane level. So it's it's relatively uh, changeable. Say the least. We're on the fifth subplane from the top, okay, or the third from the bottom, depending on how you look at it, uh, while we're physically alive. There's four, four etheric, it's called, electromagnetic subplanes above where we exist, and the quantum constant grows. The thing that's supposed to never change. <laughs> instantly grows to greater levels. So that, and that's because the the universe is actually vastly multidimensional, and uh, consciousness is controlling the effects of time-space. Consciousness and thought itself is changing the time-space that we exist in. So it's all interactive. And that's what I was getting at the first part of the show. And so we have now a a fascinating development because just going from the fifth subworld to the fourth subworld, which is just, I I mean, it's as close as you can get to where we are, but it's an electromagnetic energy uh, 
space instead of what we call physical, which is a dense physical form. Um, it, it moves up about, the quantum constant increases almost 35%. So that's a gigantic change, really, from, from one level to the next. And that means that everything uh, is in time factors changed. Someone observing from that position to where we are, I know where I am, where you as listeners are, uh, would be uh, would have the experience of seeing this change in time space. They would actually experience it directly themselves in. And they could actually observe what's happening here. But the distortion caused by the time-space change would create certain visual anomalies and uh, it'd be very hard uh, for sound to be fully understood and other things. But nonetheless, it, can, it happens. And you could get to the fourth etheric subworld, and from that position, you could watch what's going on. And when people die, most of the time it's where they end up for weeks sometimes. And so they can actually, they can't interact with us very well, but they can certainly observe to some extent after some training of themselves, they can hear. Uh, and even in the observation, while there's a shift in in the frequency of light, so you, you get you get changes in what is called redshift, but all those things that are changing are still, you still can see and you still can hear to some extent, especially if you give yourself some time to adjust to the differences. Now, when you get higher than that, and humans, uh, usually when they die, they don't go higher than the fourth. They usually jump from the fourth to the first and then leave all together. But there's occasions where that doesn't happen. And... If you go to the third, the super etheric, or the second, the subatomic, those those have much greater levels of uh, time displacement. And so by the time you get to the top, the atomic level, I call it, the top of, the, uh, of this etheric range, or some people call it electromagnetic range, uh, the... the Overall change is about not quite 2.2 times greater than what it is here. So you can see that's a huge amount of difference between the time there and the time here. It also means that space is much closer together. And it means uh, it is possible to uh, move in time space much more quickly and easier. So a lot of things change. And this is just on a subplane level. Incredible. It's not even a major plane. It's just a subplane. And you have these tremendous differences. And you can say, well, okay, then how come we don't all know about this? Well, there have been a lot of people who have done experiments that have indicated that this is true. They're just ignored. <laughs> what else to say? A poor guy in Germany. Uh, he was able to measure, uh, I think, the super etheric. Uh, he got he reached that level, and he came out with 1.7 times uh, greater uh, in terms of s the speed of light. We'll call it that. 
Uh, and uh, everybody thought he was crazy, but he repeated the experiment numerous times to keep coming up with the same thing. And uh, unfortunately, poor guy never really got any, this is in the 90s, he never really got anything. Uh, credit for anything. I mean, it was unfortunate. You know, I, I felt like writing him a letter and say, "Hey, don't feel so bad. You're right. It's okay. It's cool." Uh, but unfortunately, uh, that's the way, particularly then, that the scientific community treated them. Today, there's a lot of people who are starting to think that maybe some of the stuff that at least that I'm teaching you guys are is uh, true. And they don't go so far into the metaphysical side. And the only reason it is even metaphysics, by the way, is because physics doesn't accept it. <laughs> it's not because it's some kind of new thing, right? Anything that they don't accept becomes metaphysical. Well, okay, fine. I'll accept that. So if, you know, to me... If you're a scientist, you're a scientist, and it doesn't matter what, what way you're doing things to get to the truth about something. But if you don't follow the prescribed doctrine in the present, the present level of science, even though it could be dead wrong, and it is mostly dead wrong, uh, you're kind of labeled with something that's not so so good. And that's all right. You just just, like, just got to live with it and not worry about it. At any rate, the good news is, because there are so many worlds, so, so, uh, vast, beyond our wildest comprehensions, right? So many of them, and because most of them, not all, but most of them that have humans on them are more advanced than we are here. It gives us some pause to consider that the universe isn't totally done it. We've got we've got a lot of hope out there because I and so when I do these shows I I talk a lot about Earth of course because that's where we are. But I don't want people to be so discouraged, especially if they've read some of the books that I've written or whatever, and they say, Oh, this is never going to get anywhere because nobody wants to believe in it. Nah, it, that's just a very, 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 very narrow process of thinking because in reality you know, we're 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 like a, a few nothings compared to the rest of the entire uh, universe around us. And remember that the universe is multidimensional everywhere. It isn't just multidimensional in this galaxy or some particular star system. It's everywhere like that. The whole the whole everything is in a multidimensional framework, and uh, all of what we call time-space is the result of separating, effectively, consciousness, to some extent, from light, and at other times, creating a problem in the way that we interact that produces even more negative effects in terms of the physical aspects of life. So it's and the majority of the big problems happen here in the, in the physical dimension because we are so uh, ignorant of most of what I would call the truth, and that's 
the problem. So we have to make up a bunch of stuff that isn't true to convince ourselves that, <laughs> number one, we're all alone, I guess, or close to it. And uh, number two, uh, even if there were other beings out there, they're probably all screwed up like we are. And number three, there's no God, which is probably the biggest problem from all. But this this is the unfortunate outcome of a planet like Earth that is inundated with darkness at the present time. First thing, the dark side, and there aren't that many. There are not that many evil beings in the world. Don't think there's a huge, huge. It's not. It's relatively very small, but they are still very powerful. And they have people pretty well, they're trying to convince people pretty much that there is no God. That everything is just some kind of, uh, we call it scientific inquiry, or based upon some practical way of living. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. That's, that's really what, what we're facing. Is it, it, here on Earth, it has our biggest problem. And God does everything possible to be of assistance, particularly to human beings. Those things that God does uh, are done in a way so humans maintain their freedom and the right to choose against any thing that God is, and the right to be anything, even if it's the antithesis of God. And you might say, well, why, if you're going to be God, would you let that sort of stuff go on? And the answer is freedom. If human beings and all of their life are going to have some level of freedom, and particularly humans need a larger amount than most uh, other creatures on Earth, um, if they're going to be free, they can't uh, be he- held and controlled by their creator because as soon as that happens, their freedom is gone. Even if it's all done for righteous causes, it's done to really get rid of the darkness and all this stuff, it's, it's not what the creator, God, wants. God wants to allow its own growth to be dependent upon the growth of all life, all life, and that obviously includes human life. Well, if that's going to be the case, God cannot intervene and start making us believers or force us to see things that we refuse to see, or even bring people out of the terror and hell of what's called the ace sphere, which is like being in hell. Um, because choice has to be ours and not this great being. And the great being doesn't want to grow by just its own thought process because if it does that, then everything's a puppet show and it doesn't make any difference what's going on. And it doesn't really achieve any real change in itself or anything else. So, freedom. Freedom of choice, freedom to think, freedom to act 
even if you choose to act very badly. It's more important that we be free to do those things than be prevented from doing them, which, let's face it, there are many beings that could prevent us from doing a lot of bad things that humans do while we're physically alive. Those beings don't because they understand their creator. And they know. They know. Now, they're beyond human. They've grown beyond human to some extent. But they know not to intervene most of the time, and they won't. And they're so reluctant in their interventions when they do intervene that it's a tremendously big thing. And there are all kinds of qualifications and changes that they make about everything that they do so that they are not acting as a controlling entity over our free will, humans' free will, including the free will of evil. I mean, that's the amazing thing. Even evil, or maybe especially evil, that might be a better way of putting it, has to be free to make its own choices about how it decides to live and to either interact and become aware of or become hateful of God. It's all up to us. So, with that in mind, (laughs) let me continue on with some of the ideas in tonight's show so that you can see where this is going to head to. Earth is not the typical planet. It is one of the most atypical planets around. So we should not make or construe our reasoning about God or people or darkness or light or any of that stuff by simply trying to understand this mixed-up world. I know that sounds pretty bad coming from someone who's supposed to be, you know, challenging all that's happening around and trying to... uh, create experiments to prove or disprove certain things that are happening. But it doesn't disqualify those things from being done. It just means that you can't do them for the purpose of taking over other people's free will, even those of the dark side. So... What are the options? I mean, how how do we find that magic place <laughs> where we can assist people without interfering and without preventing a calamity? A calamity would be to stop free will and to try to enforce some kind of religious viewpoint or God viewpoint or whatever you want to believe on everybody. You can't do that. Absolutely not. So, what, are, what, are, what is the answers? What are the answers? Well, the ones that I have promoted for more than this particular life I'm in right now um, have to do with the idea that even people who are selfish, even people that might be somewhat evil or even completely evil, are still human. 
and the respect of humanity for for humanity of the humanity for humanity is that people have a right to make a choice that is destructive to themselves and even destructive to others and the best you can do in those situations is to help the others that are being harmed from being harmed. And the best way you can help them do that, that I know of, is to help them raise their consciousness to a level in which they are more group conscious, because group consciousness is a spiritual is a spiritual form of consciousness that protects people from evil. When you don't practice group consciousness, I don't care whether you're in a spiritual place or if you're in a, you know, if you're just in a religious kind of grouping or if you're not anybody, some guy who, or a person who reads, reads a lot of books and that's about it. Whatever it is, it's always based upon, always based upon whether a person is willing to give to others so that they can do the same. For, for, for even further others. If you can get to that level of giving, which is called group consciousness, some people call it soul consciousness, some people, there's lots of other words for it, but it's all the same thing. Once you get to that level, whether inside people, a group of people doing it, or you're doing it alone, or you're doing it with other people who are kind of doing it, but they're doing it all individually in some way, even though they're, but they're all still doing it. They're all still group conscious. Then at that point, you will, cannot be harmed by evil. Evil cannot possess you. Evil ca- cannot take over your life. Evil cannot fool you. And you say, well, why can't evil fool you? If all you're thinking about is how you could help other people to become better givers, why couldn't you be fooled? And although other people might be just takers from you. Well, that's a good question. The answer is pretty simple, actually. When you are group conscious, you're able to immediately sense. I mean, your senses are so refined by the process of being group conscious that you can immediately sense whether the other person themselves are sincere in their wanting to give and serve and do everything that is good in the world, or not. So while you're doing it, you're also gaining a new sense. And where does that sense come from? The sense comes from joining time-space. On multiple levels, as you join time-space, you actually grow your senses. They start joining together, and you develop super senses. And your super senses tell you exactly what's going on. And you just can't be fooled, and you can't be possessed, and you can't be gotten to. That's the answer. Then you say, well, wait a second. What about that thing with humility? Yeah, well, humility is definitely part of being group conscious. If you aren't humble, accepting the possibility that you're wrong about almost anything, you're almost doomed to never be group conscious. You're going to always fool yourself, or worse, you'll be just a dark person. So it's kind of an interesting way of looking at this, because we have at our disposal the answers. The problem is getting people to 
you actually practice. Just try it, you know. Give it a month, you know. Try it. Try it for two days. Try it for a week. Try and get, get getting someone to do it for more than an hour is sometimes a Herculean type of chore because people are so resistant to doing it. Why? Because they believe they're going to lose something in the process of being more concerned about helping others to be better givers and more concerned about others' development of consciousness than they are for even themselves or even anybody else they might like or in some way be close to. So it's a, it's this is the the most difficult part of the whole the whole system. It's getting past that. Now it's not so bad when you get to the astral world. Uh, it's not as bad as here, and some people catch on, particularly if they're from the third subworld up in terms of their thinking and interactions. Et but if they're not that high in consciousness and they're in the lower parts, the mid-parts, the lower parts, they can be just as fooled as anybody who's even physical. And in the physical world, very few people can accept that they want to live their life to help others to be of service by helping them in whatever way you can to be of service. And that's a very, very, very unfortunate problem. Now, yeah, sure, when people get to the monastic realm, that's a mental world. Uh, time space is really joined together much more. The quantum constant is dozens, or sometimes depends where you are in, in the mental world, but it could be it could be as high as over a thousand times greater than here. Wow. That means time-space is over a thousand times, a thousand times, think about it, think about it, more connected, in effect, and the speed of light is equally grown to that level, and the quantum constant is that much faster. The exact number, if you get to the very top of the middle world, is 1,056 times what it is in this world where we are. Well, that's, that's huge. <laughs> it's a big, big difference. And obviously, as you change subworlds and eventually whole dimensions of time-space, you're bringing yourself closer to being one with greater beings of consciousness and with God. And so that's just the nature of how the system works. Now, there are some planets that are in physical form, like Earth, but the people have succeeded in building computers and other things that actually work in these higher dimensions along with computers that might be in this dimension that we're in, the physical. And they can even move back and forth between dimensions in some circumstances. So those planets are far more advanced than we are. We have the opportunity to 
become like them someday. And maybe some of us will leave this world because there may not be any much of a world left in a while and uh, find a world where it's more like that. Some of those worlds are considered enlightened worlds. It's a place where uh, there's only light, there's only goodness. There's no evil to be found. And, of course, a lot of people say, well, that's where I want to go. Where do I sign up? But see, your soul decided to come here. You as a person and a personality may have uh, segregated and selfish interests in comparison to your soul, which is not unusual. And therefore, what the personality wants and its lower self is oftentimes quite selfish. And what the soul wants is totally different. So you have this kind of schism. The more that schism grows, the more you're in jeopardy of becoming part of the dark side or just influenced by them, and the more you won't contribute to the enlightenment of this world, which is unfortunate. I hope, I hope this is kind of making sense. Uh, I want to give people tonight a view that it's not all like, oh, gee, we're really screwed. It's a terrible place. First of all, anybody can choose, any as a soul, can choose to leave this world. So you don't have to stay here. Uh, generally, you would you would see out the particular incarnate life that you're in, but no matter how that turns out, at the end of that time, uh, the soul can leave. You can leave as a soul, if that's your choice. Remember, as a soul, souls are so much different from human beings when they're physically alive. Uh, they don't think like we do. They, they, they think in terms of mostly God and God's plan. And they see evil as an aberration, of course, and the darkness in this world as a real challenge and problem. So, we won't have much contact with any of the trillions of planets that we could, even in this dimension, in the physical realm. And the reason for that is that they're leaving us alone so that we can see if we can get it right and see if we can overcome the darkness that is here. It would be too easy and almost uh, a, a waste of the experiment, so to speak, for them to come here and just take control of everything and drive the evil out. So it wouldn't take very long, but it would not prove anything, and it would be a grave disservice to all the time and energy spent to set this experiment up. And that's basically what it is. It's an experiment. <laughs> it's one heck of a one. Not necessarily the one I relish. And so many times when I say, well, I don't know why I'm even here. But then I say, well, I know why. I'm here because this is the place where I need it. And if I wasn't needed, I would be elsewhere. Now, can humans just get up and leave? No. Because the science necessary in terms of astrophysics now. Put the astrophysics hat on, okay? 
The science says that as long as you're attempting to travel in the physical, where we are, the physical dimension, even in the etheric parts of it, which has somewhat over double the quantum constant is raised, but it doesn't change. It doesn't change the ultimate idea, and that is there's no way from, in a physical sense, you can get from here to any place that would be more conscious and where you'd like to just settle down. Those places would require uh, far more development in terms of purely understanding the science involved and how to make it work. Now, I did a show a few times, a few weeks ago, whatever, on time travel and how you can travel using using the physics of wormholes and some of the ways that it would work. And if you use two stars, that's a minimum. If you use three or more, you can get, you can get some real amazing results. But even if you could travel back and forth in time that way, that doesn't really accomplish necessarily very much. And it also can lead to some trouble. And it doesn't get you off this world. I mean, you're not, you're not really leaving here. Now you could say, well, if you can get to those stars you're talking about, then you can just go to a different planet altogether. Well, sure, that's true. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. But you would find it very difficult to actually do that because if you had the ability to travel that far into space to find a wormhole and to be able to use it properly, you probably are going to be far more conscious of the reasons why you need to stay here to combat the problems that exist in this world because that's what you came here for. So you won't, you won't abdicate that role, even if for some reason there's a need or you are seeking some reason for time travel, which could be done. It doesn't really change the outcome. So you're not going to change this world by doing it. And it doesn't, other than as an interesting experience, it really isn't a methodology outside of educational purposes to better understand what has occurred, what might happen, and be able to make decisions about how to live more as a soul here on Earth. Those aren't bad things. You just got to be careful because it's not, it's not without its pitfalls, as I talked about in those other shows. So we, we're kind of locked in here because we chose to be. Now, a few souls leave all the time. And once in a while, one comes in, so to speak. Where, why are some souls leaving? Well, because not because it's too bad or terrible. They're leaving because they're not doing any good. They'll have three, four, ten, twenty lifetimes of failures where the incarnates that they create turn out to be bad folk. And they say, gee, it's not, this isn't working. I'm not, I'm not cut out for this particular planet because I can't 
tree incarnates that uh, humans, us, you know, that um, can do the right thing. And those are the ones that tend to leave. So they're not leaving because they feel like they failed or whatever. They, they're leaving because they're not helping. And if they can't help, then they would prefer to be some some other soul maybe succeed. There's a limited amount of resources in a world like Earth, and only so many souls can incarnate at a particular time. It gets pretty complicated. And uh, you can't waste lifetimes. It isn't like, oh, we'll just put a few more, a million more, you know, or... No, you don't want to waste any lifetimes if possible because life is precious, even if you turn to the dark side for a while in your choices. Of course, then you're soulless, eventually. Uh, I know, if you've read some of the books I've done, you don't lose your soul necessarily immediately, but you're in pretty bad shape and you're on the verge. So, And you can, within a short time, lose your soul completely. Remember, when you lose your soul, you choose to give it up. Wow. What a crazy idea. <laughs> yep, that's true. That's the way it works. All right, so where does, you know, it, it, where does that leave us? It leaves us with a, a viewpoint of the universe that's considerably, unfortunately, different than the present level of science is suggesting. Since we have all of these different changes from one sub-world to the sub-plane to the next in terms of quantum constant changes, and it's multidimensional between dimensions, plus it's multidimensional within a dimension. Well, it's, it's, it's like virtually there is no such thing, because... It's only a fallacy that we believe it exists because it really has much more to do with consciousness and thought than it has anything to do with physics in the, in the physical type of physics sense. True, there are astrophysicists who are more open-minded about this sort of stuff, but they are rare, and particularly cosmologists or some cosmologists. I guess I would fall into that category. But the point is that even if you were to count all the, those folks, it's still very, very small. The vast number of people that are connected with science today are convinced of almost 95% of fallacy. So 95% or more of what they think is true is not true. Well, with only a 5% or less accuracy, what the heck can you do if you're going to follow traditional science? And the answer is not much, except probably confuse people and come up with a bunch of stuff that isn't going to bear out to be true in the future. And in the meantime, you're leaving the planet more open to bad things like possessions and darkness and evil and all that stuff. It's not the fault of any individual scientist. It's the fault of 
consciousness in general in humanity on Earth at the present time. Uh, we became relatively arrogant about 850,000 years ago or so. We had some help from a sister planet and some other stuff. And so it, it led to bad outcomes. It's just a very unfortunate thing. And today, our our understanding of almost everything is upside down, backwards, and almost 100% incomplete, especially historical things. I mean, you realize that most people don't think there was anything around more than 6,000 B.C. There was nothing except for people running around with, you know, hunters and gatherers of some sort. And, and they they probably had no real mental capacity. They don't think they spoke or anything. I mean, <clears throat> well, that's nonsense. It's not true. But that's the belief structure we're presently living. And, you know, I, just everything is misunderstood because the more distant past was deliberately erased. Not by the dark side. That's the weird thing about it. It had to be erased because so many people were turning dark that there was no way to keep any of the good parts without saving the dark side from taking over. So the only way to do it was a clean slate, which would start literally start all over again, just like Earth began around six, seven thousand BC. Well, it's, you know, people that are doing archaeological studies are finding things from what is called the Atlantean Age, going back tens of thousands of years ago. In some cases, hundreds of thousands of years ago. Well, if there really were people, even if they weren't quite like we are today, <clears throat> who had civilization and even had forms of writing, government, and other things, granted, they weren't like us because they were a different type of people who were much more emotionally centered than we are. We're more mentally centered. But still, those folks are around a long time. And, and, and we don't know virtually anything about them. Now, I granted, I know that there's some fairly well-known uh, people, archaeologists, etc., who are coming around and saying, you know, they have proof that there were people running around and knew all kinds of stuff 100,000 years ago. They, they, they swear to it. And they certainly can prove uh, 25, 30,000 years ago. There's all kinds of significant evidence in the last uh, 15, 20 years that it's been discovered. And most people don't even know about it because, again, it's being kept hidden by some of the rest of the scientific community because they don't want to admit to these things. Anytime something new, even if it's old in the past, but new to us today, comes up, uh, people have a high resistance to accepting it. It's just the nature of us here. It's not like that in other worlds, but because of all the darkness in this world, it tends to present this very pessimistic side to the humans here. Uh, 
I admit to it. I have pessimism. I don't know anybody who doesn't actually. And that's, a, that's unfortunate because a lot of us know better and we still have some of that. So it's, it's a difficult thing to overcome. I commend people who can get past that because that's a, that's a tough one right there. And the more you understand, the harder it is to not become pessimistic about the whole process. And then it's all going to go down the tubes anyway, so why try? Kind of thing. I'm not there. I know that's not where I'm at, but that's today. A hundred years from now, if things are the same or worse than today, I'd say it's all over for Earth. But that's at a hundred years from now. We've got at least 20, 30, 40 years probably to try and turn this thing around. So we'll do whatever we can. I'll, I'll do what I can. I'm sure others that are listening to the show, many of them think the same way. Right? Do what you can. All right, so you're not going to have a bunch of uh, humans popping in from all kinds of other worlds and even other galaxies or any place like that because we're kind of off limits. We're off limits because we're pessimistic, because we're negative, because we've invited evil and it's here, and because we've already lost the battle once against it and we can't afford a second loss. So the, 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 the issue becomes, where do we find the answers to solve the problems that we're faced in living as human beings in multiple different dimensions of time and space and having to contend with the tremendous amount of forces that are imposed upon us because of our lack of ability to think right. And so this is, this is the most challenging part. I'm going to tell you, the best you possibly can do is to think about everything that I teach and that other people teach in these areas and see how much you can really understand the natures of the problems and whether you could see yourself as a person, not yourself, well, yeah, I'll be an abstract person, just pretend. No, I mean you, a real person getting involved in trying to make a difference. And what does that mean? Well, everybody's going to be unique, so I can't tell you. You know, some people might do it through one way and another completely different. This is not like, here's, do these 30 things and you'll be fine. Uh, There was a time when I kind of worked with a, a guy, that's what he used to do. He gave lists of 30 things. You do these 30 things, everything will work. <laughs> I guess he was a throwback to another time. But I kept trying to tell him, I don't think that's the way to do it. I think you got to work with concepts and build, you know, help people to think better. And it's just, oh, you don't want them thinking too much. <laughs> that's what he told me. I don't, why not? Well, that's where they go astray, you know. They, you don't know what they're going to think about. But, you know. That that's where I draw the line that I'm very different from that thought process. But I would say 
that the majority of people may be more on that person's side than on my side. So it's a difficult place. It's a difficult situation. At the present time, there's all kinds of fake stuff that people are concerned with. One of the fake things is that uh, the Earth is overheating, and by overheating I mean that we are uh, gaining in total amount of energy in the atmosphere caused supposedly by a number of human-created substances, etc. There's a slight truth to that, but most of it's not true. Why isn't it true? What Earth is really having trouble with is not that it's warmer, because warmer is better. We make more food, it's easier to live, a lot of other stuff. But the thing you've got to be careful about is that warmer melts the ice caps. And if you're going to be effective in that process, instead of trying to make Earth as cold as it was 200 years ago, which is not a good idea, by the way, uh, the better thing, the way, way better thing, is to dig out literally huge lakes, gigantic, the largest possibly on Earth, in places like parts of the deserts in anywhere from around, you know, the Sinai to to uh, maybe even the western United States, but certainly uh, inclusive, at least I would include, uh, major parts of Australia. Australia could be an amazingly more productive place, a better place to live for everybody, much greater wealth. If you took some of the desert, obviously don't kill the animals, you move them into sites where they can still live, but most of it is just desert. I mean, there's almost nothing there. Dig it out and then take the salt water and desalinate it uh, using solar energy to do that. And fill those lakes with a thousand feet deep of water. And that would hugely improve the environment. And it would lower the sea levels so that you don't have the dangers of melting the ice that we presently have. And that's probably the single most critical thing to be concerned with. Uh, a lot of people say, well, what about all the methane that's in the ocean? As it warms up, it's going to be released, and this and that. Well, that's not exactly true. Uh, the planet would have to get way, way hotter before anything like that would, would happen. So it's an exaggeration. It's not a true statement. Uh, and the other possibility is if the sunspots diminish rapidly in the next few years, well, you don't know, then the sun goes into a several-hundred-year phase in which, unfortunately, it will get much colder. That's not good because everything will freeze. And, yeah, we won't have to worry about the water anymore because the ice caps will come back and they'll be even bigger than they were. But the world will be very difficult to live in. 
very cold and uncomfortable and not the kind of place that most people want to live. So there's an example of science gone awry. And, I mean, it isn't just science. I realize a lot of this is politics and a bunch of other nonsense. But if you really examine where and what is best for a planet like Earth right now, it's to be about where it is. Closer to the sun than it was, uh, a, a little bit warmer, but not the warmest it's ever been by any stretch. And also, uh, as I said, with more natural salt-free waterways that uh, provide all kinds of benefits, everything from drinking water to uh, to natural uh, aesthetics to uh, cooling the environment that is surrounding it. So places that actually, instead of it being hotter, will be more moderate. If you build a big enough lake, we're talking, you know, like thousands of square miles of lakes, but yeah, you can do it. And to me, that's a lot simpler answer than anything I've heard, and it's closer by far to the truth. Now, if you prefer, if you really believe that it's better for everybody to be in a much colder world, then we should spend our time trying to figure out a way to move Earth's orbit 10 or more million miles further away from the sun. And we would also have to give it a little more energy to keep its annual year approximately the same. It would take a lot of technology to do that, probably a couple hundred years' worth of development to get to that point. If that's what you really want to do, you can do it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see the benefits. I see a lot of negatives to that. It's also dangerous. I mean, you could screw it up. But at any rate, those kinds of things are happening, and I want to be very clear about this, because we as human beings are incredibly lacking in consciousness. That's, that's the only way to describe it. Where does it come from? It comes from the desire for uh, one group of human beings to control the rest of the human beings. Most of it has to do with power and the desire to exercise power over others rather than over your own life. And that's happening throughout the world. And it's mostly aiming towards evil and getting rid of God. And almost consistently, the people who buy into all these scenarios, I've just covered over, discovered some of them, are anti-God. They, they're not just neutral. They don't believe there's a God. Anybody who thinks there is are stupid and idiots. And you could say, well, aren't they eventually going to figure that out? Well, if they don't become completely evil, yeah, eventually. But that isn't going to change it. Because their next incarnate is going to be just as likely to do the same stupid stuff they're doing now. 
There's more and more of those people running around. Most of them go into politics and places like that where they can control other people. Terrible stuff. This week I heard that China, Red China, China, is getting the names of everybody who believes in God so that it can be harassed, killed. I don't know. That's the purpose. Unbelievable. And that's what we're headed for, if we're not careful. That's what all the world's headed for, because it's more in socialism. It's, it, it definitely is socialism, but it's also communism. I mean, the two are only different levels of the same idea. It's a terrible thing. Those kinds of atrocities, on the scale we're talking about now, we're not talking a few thousand people. We're talking about a million people. We're talking about possibly hundreds of millions of people being ostracized, murdered, locked up, or in some way hurt and damaged because they believe in God. Holy. Now, I have my own thought processes on how to deal with that, but that's not for tonight. I think the most important thing is for all of us to recognize the darkness that is in this world and pay attention to changing it ourselves and not look for other people to do it, not look for anybody else to step in, not look for this. Just do it. Yeah. And if you read the stuff I've written, that will help. If you listen to the shows, probably even help more. Uh, and if you really don't get it completely, hey, write to me. I'll set up a conference. We're going to have a call. I'm willing to talk to anybody about what they can do or what problems they may be having in attempting to do things or why they don't think I'm right. I'm completely open to all of those options. Everyone. What is the ultimate solution for all of us? Ultimately, it's going to come down to the next 150 years. I say this with grave regret. I hope I'm wrong. But we, uh, yesterday, today, kind of almost, uh, we were missed by a very small margin from an asteroid that almost ran into if it had hit the earth, it probably could have killed millions of people. Just so you know. That's not that's not an exaggeration. It's the equivalent of thirty atomic bombs going off at one time. That certainly could kill millions of people. Now I'm not trying to exaggerate. I'm just talking about what's really going on. You should know that about twenty years ago I predicted that this would be a coming event and that it's going to get worse. 
by the end of this century, we could be definitely hit by more than just one or two or three of these things, and some of them could be traveling at a much faster speed, and they could do a lot more harm. And we won't have any time to do anything. We had maybe 20 minutes in this last uh, situation because it was traveling at a speed that we only had that much time before it would hit us if it had hit us. So what does that mean? Well, it means that, and I, I, I hope I'm wrong about this. I don't want you to think, well, gee. Now, I, I think that the handwriting's on the wall. If things go badly sometime in the next 150 years, I think the experiment of Earth will end. Not because the dark side is going to necessarily end it. I mean, they don't want to end this planet by any stretch. They want to take it over, control it. It'll end because it'll be virtually a hopeless outcome. In other words, determination by those beings that are more spiritually evolved, developed, will be the experiment didn't work. We couldn't overcome the challenges of evil in the physical world. Just couldn't do it. So we better come up with some new answers, maybe not rush it so fast, and see how we can do next time. And better to end it before it gets out of hand than to let this thing just keep rolling along because that just causes everybody to suffer more, and there's no reason for it. I mean, if you're going to end the world in 30 minutes or whatever it's going to take... Why why worry, you know? Why go through any great torturous regimen? Say, okay, that's it. You can say, well, what about uh, Venus and Mars? And, hey, look, our sun is a, it's a being, and it wants to create a system that uh, is successful. But... Not all systems work out, and that could be the case. It doesn't mean it's terrible for the sun. It's terrible for us, but it's not terrible for the sun because the sun could start over in some ways, but not with Earth as it is. So, and I, I hope I'm wrong about what I just talked about, and if I'm not, I apologize. You know, it's it's one of those things where you just you can't really get a definite. You can only say maybe. Well, listen, we're running out of time. I just looked at the clock, and that tells me that this is it. I hope that last part of the show now is not too disturbing to you. But I, I got to tell you all the stuff that's in my head so that you can see why I'm doing what I'm doing. And believe me, the people I'm working with, and it's getting larger numbers of people, is to really make a difference. So we are trying. And if you want to join us to do more good things, only if you're here to do good things, just let us know. Until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for Wildlife Is.